Years ago, I had the privilege of serving as a chaplain with the Niagara Regional Police Service. Now, while in that role, I learned a lot about policing. I learned that when you're a police officer, you are rarely on the scene as a crime or accident is taking place. Truth be told, when you're a police officer, you arrive on the scene after the fact. By the time the police arrive, all that remains are the victims, the witnesses, and the clues. More often than not, the role of the police officer is to interview the witnesses, gather the evidence, and try to piece together what happened. And in the process of investigation, it's amazing what you'll hear. Here is a list of actual statements from real-life eyewitnesses. The accident happened because I had one eye on the truck in front of me, one eye on the pedestrian by the side of the road, and one eye on the car behind me. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with the tree that I don't have. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I finally hit him. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and then headed over the embankment. Well, today, you and I are going to be police officers. Today, you and I are going to tag along with the Apostle Paul as we visit the scene of a 2,000-year-old conflict, interview the witnesses, and piece together the clues in order to determine the source of the problem. Today, we're continuing in a series called Life Hacks. It's a verse-by-verse study of the New Testament letter known as 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by a leader named Paul to a church congregation in the ancient city of Corinth, located in modern-day Greece. Now, Paul wrote in the letter in response to some serious issues, some issues that had come to his attention regarding that congregation. Now, why should we care about a 2,000-year-old letter addressing 2,000-year-old issues? We care because many of the issues that the people faced back then are still issues that people face today. So we take the time to study the advice that Paul gave to them so that we can apply that advice to our similar situations today. Now, the first issue that Paul addresses is the conflict that was taking place in the Corinthian church. Now, with all that's going on in our world today, why would we bother talking about church issues? I mean, do church issues really matter all that much? I mean, church is a nice place to visit on a Sunday with some inspiring music and, on a good day, some uplifting teaching. But... In the grand scale of things, is the church really that important? Yes, the church really is that important. Because the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Listen, we need governments and government programs to maintain order and to offer assistance to citizens in dire circumstances. But no government program can change a person's heart. We need entrepreneurs, businessmen and women with the courage to risk and the skills to create and maintain profitable companies. Companies that provide products and services for their customers, as well as paychecks for their employees, enabling them to feed and care for their families. However, as vital as an employer is, no paycheck, no product, no business contract can heal a person's heart or cleanse a person's soul. We need educators to expand our realm of knowledge and grow our understanding of the world around us. However, 
as vital as our educators are, understanding what is taking place around me does not have the power to change the desires that are within me. In fact, many of history's brightest minds had the darkest hearts. The Church of Jesus Christ matters because only the Church of Jesus Christ can change a human soul. The Church of Jesus Christ matters because only the Church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The Church of Jesus Christ matters because only the Church of Jesus Christ has the message and the authority to set souls free from sin, from guilt, and from shame. No government, no business, no educational institution has the power to accomplish such a thing. There's only one body on the earth with such power and such authority, and that is the Church of Jesus Christ. That is why church issues matter, because the church is the hope of the world. Well, if that's true, if the church is so powerful, why then do some churches struggle? Why do some churches wither and die? We're going to discover one possible answer to that question today. Now, apparently, the church in Corinth was in trouble. They had broken into factions and splintered into teams and divided into cliques. And this conflict was destroying their gatherings, destroying their unity, and destroying their effectiveness. The Apostle Paul saw this, and he let everyone know where their conflict was ultimately leading them. He let everyone know if they didn't stop what they were doing, it would lead to the spiritual death of their congregation. Now, how does an entire congregation spiritually die? Well, the spiritual death of a congregation doesn't happen all at once. It's a gradual thing. The spiritual death of a congregation is the result of the spiritual death of individual people over time within that congregation. Why do some churches thrive while other churches die? One reason is because a spiritual virus is allowed to linger within that congregation. And as that spiritual virus gradually spreads, it leads to the spiritual death of many within that congregation until one day the spiritually dead outnumber the spiritually alive. Over the next few moments, I invite you to ask yourself this question. Am I a source of spiritual life or am I a source of spiritual death within my local congregation? Do my words and actions carry spiritual life or am I unwittingly promoting spiritual death? You say, well, Darren, how can a person know? What are the signs? That's what we're about to discover as we unpack Paul's words today. See, Paul addresses the issue in Corinth by first outlining God's design for the church. Begin reading with me at verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes to them, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's stop there. As detectives, there are all kinds of clues for us to pick up here. Circle the words brothers and sisters in your Bible. Paul is appealing to the unity found in a family. But this is not the unity of a physical family. This is not a family that is united by DNA. God's design is that his church be united in the Spirit. See, Paul makes his appeal in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not united by race, ethnicity, preferences, cultures, styles. 
These are not the sources of our unity as the church of Jesus Christ. Look around you on a Sunday morning at Broadway Church. You're going to see all kinds of faces and all kinds of races, all kinds of ages and reflecting all kinds of stages in life. At our core, at our foundation, we are united by the indwelling Spirit of God, poured out by the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place, rose from the grave, paying our moral debt, and restoring us to God's destiny for our lives. But there's more to our unity. Keep reading what Paul says. He says, I appeal to you that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. In other words, not only is it God's design that his church be united in the spirit, but also God's design is that his church be united in purpose. You see, God's design is that his church be pulling together in the same direction. God's design is that his church be singing in harmony from the same songbook. Now at Broadway Church, to help us pull together, to keep us on the same page, we've produced a series of biblically rooted statements. Statements that clearly and concisely remind us of the purposes and values that we are united around. For example, our why statement the vision of Broadway Church says, we believe that every person was created to experience and express the purest love imaginable. Our what statement, or the mission of Broadway Church, states that we exist to lead people to Christ-centered living. Our how statement, or, or the core values of Broadway Church, go like this, Christ-centered, Everything we do must move people closer to the image of Jesus Christ. This means that the core content and character of every ministry must be biblically based. Generosity is another core value. We recognize that we are ultimately managers, not owners in this life. So this means that we will freely contribute of the time, talents, and treasures that God has entrusted to us. Relevance is another core value. We strive to understand and creatively speak to our times. This means that we will intentionally engage our world so that we might positively affect our world. Another core value is accountable relationships. We believe that we are responsible to and for one another. This means that we will create healthy avenues for community and communication. Dynamic spirituality is yet another core value. We understand that a vibrant relationship with God's Spirit is essential to effective living. This means that we will pursue, teach, equip, and model a Spirit-led life. And finally, safe environments is a core value at Broadway. That means we desire to be a non-threatening community where one can both seek and grow in Christ. This means that the tone of every gathering and relationship will be loving, full of grace and truth. You see, these truths and purposes help us to keep us united in purpose at Broadway. God designed his church to live in unity, united in the spirit and united in purpose. By the way, having said that, in all of this talk of unity, we should remember one thing. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is a choir singing in harmony, Singing the same song in the same key, but singing different notes. Blending our voices and harmonizing with one another. Unity is a blending of differences. 
Uniformity leaves no room for differences. Uniformity is everyone singing the same note. There's no harmony in uniformity. The Apostle Paul is not calling for uniformity. He is calling for unity. We know this because of an illustration he used later in the same letter, when he likened the church to a human body with different parts, having different roles, but all working together. Now, why do some churches thrive while other churches die? Why do some churches grow while other churches wither? Paul answers that question by first showing us God's design for the church. After showing us how God has designed things, Paul then shows us where we tend to mess things up, how we tend to renovate God's design. Look what Paul writes starting in verse 11. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Pause there for a second. I'm sure some of the people, when they heard this letter being read, look over to Chloe. Oh, Chloe, thanks a lot for snitching on us. Anyway, let's keep reading. Chloe has informed me that there are some quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another says, I follow Christ. No matter what we're talking about, we can always find something to disagree on, can't we? Especially when it comes to things within the church. Maybe you've heard the story, it's one of my favorite stories, about a gentleman who was stranded on a desert island for years. Finally, a ship uh, comes across him and, and he's rescued from this desert island. And as his rescuers uh, greet him on the beach, they see all these buildings that he's built out of bamboo. And they say, well, this is incredible, show us around. He says, sure. So he takes them and he says, here's my home that I built out of bamboo. And he had a whole main street. On the main street, there's the library that I built. And over on the other side, that's the town hall that I built out of bamboo. And over here is some storefronts that I've built. And here's the church. Uh, I built a beautiful church. And then across the street, they saw another church. And they said, what's that second church? And he said, oh, that's the church that I don't go to. We all have our favorites, don't we? We all have our preferences. And one area where Christians often differ is their choice of leaders, church leaders. Now, for all kinds of reasons, we all have our preferences. We all have our favorites. Maybe you have your favorite preacher that you watch on TV or follow online. They are your go-to person when it comes to preaching and teaching. In fact, you don't know what you believe until you find out what your favorite preacher believes. Now, this isn't a new thing. This was going on 2,000 years ago in the church in Corinth. Look again at Paul's words. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, oh yeah, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. The church in Corinth had divided up along party lines, each with their favorite preacher, teacher, leader. I follow Paul. These were the people who were saying, Paul, he's our founding pastor. These people were saying, we long for the good old days. The people saying, I follow Apollos. Apollos was a friend of Paul's. Apollos was highly intelligent, a gifted evangelist, and a very gifted communicator. So these people were saying, hey, we follow the same message. It's just more interesting with Apollos. Other people saying, I follow Cephas. That's the original Aramaic name for the apostle Peter. 
So these people were saying, we look to our Jewish roots. And then some would say, we follow Christ. These kind of people tend to say, we refuse to follow anybody with skin on them. Do you have a gospel guru? Are you part of some ingrown group or spiritual gang? Do you look to some exclusive source of deeper teaching and look down on anyone who's not drinking from the same Kool-Aid as you? Beware. As your outline says today, there is no such thing as a Christian idol. Nowhere in the Bible are we given permission to Christianize or baptize our hero worship. That's what we mean when we say there's no such thing as a Christian idol. So what exactly are we saying then? I mean, is it wrong to enjoy someone's preaching or teaching style? Is it wrong to trust one teacher over another? No, it's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a person's ministry. But we cross the line when we idolize that person's ministry. Realize something. When you put a leader high on a pedestal in your life, you are likely in for a letdown. No man, no woman can survive the rarefied air of the altitude where you've placed them. Somehow, in some way, on some day, they are going to disappoint you. But it's not just about our favorite preachers. Another danger comes when we classify people according to their favorite preachers. What I mean is this. If the person next to you likes some preacher or teacher that you don't like, does that automatically make the person next to you your enemy? Do you think to yourself, if you like that guy, then I don't like you? When you find yourself questioning the salvation of someone simply because of the Christian teacher that they enjoy, you're in dangerous territory. Look what Paul goes on to say regarding all these factions and divisions. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now pause there. Is Paul trashing baptism? No, Paul's not trashing baptism. He's using baptism as a metaphor for misplaced allegiance. Baptism was and is a symbol of allegiance or affiliation. Paul's saying, Christ didn't send me to baptize my own team of people. Christ didn't send me to gather my own group of followers. Christ sent me to point people towards him. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, Paul wrote. You see, the life and the power of the church of Jesus Christ is sourced in the message of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a simple message, but it's a message that has divided people for centuries. Right now, I'm going to take two minutes to share that message with you. What I'm about to share with you will do one of two things. It will either scandalize you or it will liberate you. It will either get you angry or it will set you free. Here's the message. All of us have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. Not one of us is good enough to enter into the presence of God. And there is nothing that you can do about your sin. There's nothing on your own you can do. You can't work your sin off. You can't scrub it off. None of us is good enough. And there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. In fact, 
Only through the work of Jesus Christ can you be saved or rescued or cleansed from your sin. No other religious leader, no other religious group, no other figure, no other teaching can liberate you except God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, and who rose again. And he offers you this gift to cleanse you. No other place, no other person, no other organization can save you from your sin, only through Jesus Christ. Now, some people, some churches, have sought to downplay that message over the years. They've sought to dilute it and diminish it, to soften it and socialize it. And in doing so, they have robbed it of its power. Which brings us right back to the beginning, right back to the questions that we sought to answer off the top of our teaching. Why do some churches thrive while other churches die? Why do some churches grow while other churches wither? The answer does not just apply to churches, it applies to individuals as well. Remember what we said earlier? The spiritual death of a congregation is the result of the spiritual death of individual people over time within that congregation. So what causes spiritual death? Well, that's today's life hack. Here it is. The fastest way to experience spiritual death is to place your desires above God's declarations. The fastest way to experience spiritual death is to place your desires above God's declarations. Now, over the centuries, individuals and entire denominations have lived out this simple dynamic when it comes to God's declarations. When it comes to the message of the cross, embarrassed by its bluntness, frustrated by its lack of sophistication, they have watered it down and covered it up. And in doing so, they have placed their desires above God's declarations. In doing so, they have emptied the cross of its power. In doing so, they have planted a spiritual virus in their own hearts. Today, here at Broadway Church, we pledge to you that we will continue to proclaim the unfiltered, undiluted message of Jesus Christ. Today, as we close this service, we offer you the opportunity to respond to this message, to repent of your sin, to receive God's grace, and to experience the power of being set free. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the message of the cross. It's around that message that we unify. It's through that message that we're set free. It's through that message that the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is proclaimed, and it's by accepting that message that the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is experienced. We thank you for the purpose we have in proclaiming that message. We thank you for the unity we have in, in surrounding ourselves with that message and diving into that message and proclaiming that message and living that message. We thank you for the power, the purpose, the unity of the message of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God who is poured out in our lives when we act upon that message. Thank you for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're watching today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You've not yet accepted this message of the cross, the message of the resurrection of Jesus. Right now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that very thing. Simply agree with me as I pray this prayer. It's a prayer of accepting the gift of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Pray with me. God, 
I acknowledge my rebellion. I acknowledge that I have sinned. I acknowledge there's nothing I can do to cleanse myself. And so I look to you and I call upon you to do what only you can do, to cleanse me, to pay my moral debt, and then to fill me with your spirit so that I can be part of your church, part of your body, part of the family of God. I accept your gift right now. Fill me from the inside out and begin to change and transform my life. By the authority of the resurrected Jesus, I say these words, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. The Spirit of God now lives within you. You're now part of the family of God. You're now part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now here at Broadway Church, we'd love to help you take the next step in your journey. On the screen right now, you're gonna see a number. Simply text that number and one of our staff will text you back. Now don't worry, we're not tricking you. You're not joining Broadway Church. We're not gonna place you on a mailing list or harass you in any way. We'll simply respond to your text by welcoming you to the family of God and offering our services to you in any way that we can. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us at Broadway Church today. I hope you'll join us next week when we'll continue in our Life Hacks series. God bless you.